I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories. Bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, I was taught a long time ago. You never know who listens or reads or pays attention to your work. And I like to think that enough people pay attention to our podcast. They enjoy you. I think they might like me, but definitely they enjoy you. Um, So I imagine whenever you come across like really cool people who say like they're into your podcast, like it must be such a fun thrill, right? Yeah, I'd say it's still surreal because, you know, most of our experience with this is just us recording in a private Zoom room with producer Nick. And then, you, you know, you almost there's a separation between who's um, consuming it. And so at the NHL Board of Governors meeting this week, I did find myself quite surprised when uh, one of the governors for a team, I won't mention any names to dox the person because I didn't ask her permission. <laughs> but, you know, needless to say, someone who's had a tremendous amount of success in the tech world and is, you know, a partial owner of an NHL team came up introduced himself to me and said he's a huge fan of the show that I'll put that on the things that are unexpected because yes you know we know people are are listening and watching but you you wouldn't necessarily expect someone in you know that's in the exclusive company of of a meeting like that one coming to say hi to me and and saying it's you know nice to meet me and that he loves our show I mean it's how cool is that that is pretty cool but it is also just kind of funny considering like that person's position it's like, hey, congrats. Uh, I mean, not congrats, but hey, thanks so much for liking our show. We also would like to know why the players don't make as much money or some other gripe we might have about people in his position. But at the same time, pretty cool. Yeah, but he's not individually responsible for that either, right? I mean, and, that too. And there's lots of reasonable people that understand. I mean, we're just reflecting one specific set of views that we have from the people we talk to, Our the collection of that our too. experiences. You know, like... We're not saying we know everything. And and even this person who gets to sit in that meeting doesn't know everything. I mean, we're all this, we're in the open exchange of ideas. And thankfully, we live in a place where that's allowed. And anyway, I was that was pretty cool. I've got to say, like, it was actually like kind of a bit surreal um, just to have that realization, because, again, sometimes I know my dad's listening. But other than that, I'm, you're, you're never totally sure from episode to episode. So I know we're, we're keeping this guy private, but. Does that guy become the coolest person you've heard say that they listen to the podcast? 
For me, it probably does. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just partially because it's so unexpected. I mean, let me set the scene. We're at the Breakers Hotel, you know, 120 plus year old hotel, a place that the Rockefellers used to stay uh, down in Palm Beach, Florida. You know, put it this way, not the kind of place I would normally hang out. Uh, and so you do feel a little out of place there somewhat, you know, creeping around the, the lobby, doing what we have to do, waiting for these meetings to break up. And so when one of the people that is more accustomed to that lifestyle and at that level, you know, comes over and wants to meet you, I mean, it's usually in reverse, right? It's usually me stopping someone to introduce myself or to have a comment about what's going on with their team or what have you. So it felt like a roles reverse kind of moment. That's really funny, uh, but also really cool that we were able to get that endorsement. Um, we have a bunch of topics we need to get to uh, for this week's show. And I know we'll get to You Can Bet That eventually. We do have to mention uh, the Alexander Ovechkin goal chase off the top. If you remember an episode we did a couple of months back with Alexander Ovechkin and the awkwardness of following the goal chase while also thinking of his political affiliations uh, with Vladimir Putin, notably. Uh, I mean, you can go back to that conversation. I thought it was a really good discussion about how, you know, how awkward it is to to kind of see a player of his stature affiliated with who he's affiliated with. And it's not going to get any easier as Alexander Ovechkin has hit the 800-goal plateau. I've noticed that a few people... Maybe saying come around is not the best way of saying it, but I've kind of warmed back up to the goal chase. I'm just curious, like where you're at with with looking at it and covering it and maybe even celebrating it. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable with all of it, honestly. Um, my views really are unchanged from whenever we did have that topic, I think shortly after the invasion of Ukraine, because I'm mindful of the fact that there's still civilians in Ukraine having bombs dropped on the places where they live and work and where their children go to school, um, initiated by Russia, run, which is a country run by Vladimir Putin, which still appears on Alex Ovechkin's Instagram story. And so I'm willing to grant some grace in general. I, I'm not even ex expecting someone in his shoes necessarily to come out and speak out about his own country, but I still feel as though you know, he's he's standing. He's not just sitting idly by. He's standing with the leader of that country. And, you know, he's done so for a long time, you know, going back many years very publicly. And so I, I do find it, it for me, I just I, I can't get as excited about this as I normally would be, um, you know, and I really feel kind of awkward about it. Like it's because so many of our colleagues are just moving on. I can tell you this, Alex Ovechkin standing in Europe is dust like we're we're a long way from europe physically and and so i think that that's you know we might not realize that but this was arguably for a time maybe the nhl's most marketable star certainly in in the top handful basically for his entire career that's especially true in, in european countries where the game is celebrated and enjoyed and i can tell you that that there is very few people that would live in sweden or finland or Czechia other places where hockey's popular and that are taking any joy in seeing his success now. Um, and so just because we're removed from distance, I don't think that gives us the ability just to just pretend it's not happening. Um, and so, yeah, I, I find it, I find it awkward. Um, 
just because his tie to Putin specifically is so close. You know, I'm not saying that every Russian should be punished everywhere because we know that, you know, some of these are very young players that, that, you know, there's even been a player like the the one who plays Nikita Zadorov where, where you are, Julian. He actually spoke out against the war, you know, in Russia. So, you know, I'm not saying he shouldn't be able to participate in events. You know, he's, he's kind of done what he can do. Um, but yeah, this is, this is, it's going to be an interesting period because it's clear, you know, he's, He's very close now to passing Gordy Howe, one goal from tying him on the all-time list, and then you know two goals from being the second all-time leading goal scorer in NHL history. You know, there's going to be a period, but you know, in this chase towards Wayne Gretzky is going to take a, a couple of years. Um, but you know, I, 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 it's a huge milestone. I loved watching Ovechkin as a player throughout his career. He's been, he was unquestionably a breath of fresh air for for the league when he came in. Um, super exciting, sold lots of tickets, created fans. But I, I think that, you know, where this has gone now, it's it's just hard to, it's hard to look past what's going on in the world. You know, I, I sometimes people go to sports for distraction from the world. I just, I can't distract myself from that and sit here and say, oh, how awesome it is um, that he's, he's marching up to the NHL record book. Wow. I have to say, like, I, I, I think that's well said, first off. And two, like, yeah. Well, you I, don't have to is... agree with me. You know, like, this no, is just no, no, my I, yeah, view. Like, so I, just, I just think it's important to note, like, this guy was one of the NHL's biggest stars, and he has no platform in Europe now. Um, Like, there's no one would touch him with a 10-foot pole. No one would put him on a billboard or a commercial. Like, he's persona non grata in those other European countries. Now, he might not care about that, but I'm just saying this is this is the facts and the reality of the situation. I mean, those countries weren't going to participate in a potential World Cup in 2024 because if Russia was going to be there, if a player like Alexander Ovechkin was going to be in the tournament, those countries were going to say, fine, we're going to sit this out. And I, I understand in North America, there's a desire to want to distance yourself from that, to just be like, well, that's the kind of their problem. But the reality of the world is if you don't stand, I mean, what all those countries are thinking, Julian, is if they just go into Ukraine, What's stopping an invasion of Finland, which shares a massive border with Russia for the same sort of nebulous reasons? Uh, you know, what's stopping them from going to Sweden? You know, if this if this is allowed to happen unchecked, you know, there's there's some real world consequences. Right. And so I know the NHL would just rather be in the business of, of making money. Like, I, I, I understand how we are where we are, but us as individuals don't have to we can make our own choice about how we view these things. We do. It's just that it's oh man. It's just the fact that it's Alexander Ovechkin, who has been a face of the league for years. And the fact that he could very well break this all time goal scoring record. And he has the support, not just of media, but like people are asking Gordy's son, Mark, Howe what he thinks of all of this. And, and Wayne Gretzky wants this to be broken. Like, this is very difficult, I think, for, for people who may have reckoned with that months ago. And then all of a sudden now they see him at 800. It's like, oh, yeah, right. Like, this is this is fun. And maybe this isn't the greatest analogy, but like we were looking at the World Cup in Qatar a couple of weeks ago and 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 all of the human rights violations and, and everything going on. And now weeks removed from that, people are saying it's arguably one of the greatest tournaments ever. Like after a while, and I'm not saying people should do this. After a while, what we look at and think is like, oh, man, this feels very awkward. It happens so much in sports where 
we just see the fun things that make sports fun and we immediately forget about the CD underbelly of what makes it gross. And this is just this could be just one of those situations. And this is what this is why powerful people that are doing unsavory things want to align with athletes and want to align themselves with sports because it does give them sort of a social credibility. And that's what this is all about, really. Like this is, you know, that's that's why like I can't believe he still has that Instagram picture. And I know like the point well, might be made, well, if he changed it now, we'd all notice. It's like, well, yeah, maybe it's yeah, maybe it's still time to change it. Um, but I mean, but I, also I like I want to just add to that because I know I, I've spoken with with Tarek El Bashir about this from the athletic, and he's said that, like, you know, yeah, like if he if he does something like that, like that puts his family like in in it could put his family in danger, right? Like that is something at least to his sympathy, like he has to consider if he does any type of backtracking on that. I'm not saying being affiliated with Putin is okay. It is something that has to be considered in all this, right? I suppose. I mean, I don't know if that's true. Like, I, I don't I, is, I guess. Is there like a long list of famous Russians that have had their families attacked? Because of I this? don't know. I don't know. It's I don't I don't think I don't know if that's a fair question. I don't not question, but I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer that question. But I know and we both know that of all Russian athletes, you don't get any more prominent than Alexander Ovechkin easily. Right. Well, and easily the fact we're even having to have this discussion just shows how complicated the situation is much more than, oh, look, at he's still scoring goals. And look, at I used to be before this happened, I used to celebrate him. All of his successes like that, like, like I don't want to, but you know, over time, your views can change on something, and and absolutely, um, you know, I just, I just, I don't find any joy in this. And honestly, I'm, a, I'm a giant hockey nerd. I've given my whole life to this sport. I would love to just be watching the games Thursday and Saturday, and and waiting for him to pass Cordy Howe, and like I would love to do that. But I, I just don't feel it doesn't feel right to me. Like there's just something in my stomach that just it doesn't. It doesn't add up. I, I think it's disingenuous to a huge number of players in the NHL that probably have problems with this too. And yeah, so I, that's that's kind of my piece. I mean, I, I don't know what else can be done because obviously the league's not going to all of a sudden not, not allow Russians to play if they've allowed them to play through all this. There is a movement at the Olympic level to have Russian athletes return to the Paris Games, the Summer Games in 2024, which I think will open the door for the NHL to have a 2025 World Cup that includes Russia, uh, maybe some adjustments to whether the flag or the national anthem are used. I mean, we'll see how that shakes down. So, like, you know, what can you do? I mean, he's allowed to play, and, and obviously he can still perform at a high level in terms of scoring goals. Um, but I think that does take some of the, the joy, the excitement, the celebration around it away for me. Um, I don't think that's the case for a lot of my colleagues, just looking around, seeing the stories being written and the tweets. I mean... I feel maybe like I'm a little bit on an island here among North American journalists, but that's okay. I mean, it's just it's just my view. As I say, they have the right to to view it their way too. Absolutely. Uh, and I, yeah, I think you explained your point very well. So, yeah, uh, at least hopefully everyone listening or watching can understand the dilemma that comes with the Alex, the Alexander Ovechkin goal chase, at least for both of us, right? I, I still think it exists. And I think CJ's point explains that i want to just mention one more thing one more thing before we take our little break into sports interaction here um 
We have to mention that the Leafs are good because we can't just mention when the Leafs are bad. Uh, I think you were the one who mentioned in our group chat that they're on a run of like 15, one and four. Is it time for us to call them a I I'm not uh, as I said previously, I'm not using that word, but it's definitely time. I mean, I think people are paying attention, but it you know they they deserve some credit for this this stretch. I mean, you're right. If we're gonna if we're gonna hit them when they're four, four, and two out of the gate, well then when they immediately then go 15, one and four, I think we should point out that uh you know they're they're a Stanley Cup contender. Um yeah, I think that's how it is. I mean, look, they, they've had so many injuries. Like it's been it's been impressive. I'll go that far. Like it's you're seeing a little bit more out of them, I think, than even some previous seasons. Obviously, the goaltending bets have paid off so far. We'll see how that plays out over the next 50 plus games. There's still a lot of runway, you know, for for Ilya Samsonov and Matt Murray, but they've both been great when they've been healthy. Um, they're getting scoring from everyone. Mitch Marner just casually puts up a point every night for more than a month. Um yeah, the Leafs are good, and and will be really interesting when we get into sort of January, February, and start to figure out where they're going to allocate their remaining cap space in terms of trade deadline acquisitions. Because there's no question to me they're going to go out and get the best player or players they can, um, given you know the cap space they have, and you know they're going to load up to the degree they can. I mean, it, like a lot of teams in the league, they can't go make seven trades. I don't think because uh, perhaps they don't need seven items, but also there's just not a lot of room to maneuver. But you know they're they're gonna be adding and trying to trying to win the damn thing after you know tripping in the first round for seven straight years. Um, one of my uh, or a friend of the network Tic Tac Tomar on another podcast that we do together is really advocating for a left winger. Do you see the Leafs being active on in that position? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's been an open sort of hole they've had the whole year the second line left wing spot if you call it i mean they've juggled the lines the top two lines a little bit but you know the nick robertson got a run there unfortunately he's now injured but but you know never really grabbed it when he was there we've seen alex kerfoot play there i think in a perfect world the Leafs would like him on the third line or or even the fourth line so not have him in the top six you know dennis malgan's seen some time there i mean it's it's it really has been a rotating cast of players maybe the solution ends up being internal but i think more than likely you see some sort of external option added and, and look, we could have a few notable forwards on, on the trade market. I'm not going to now just go throw every name out there, but we know the UFAs are going to be, you know, whether it's maybe someone like Ryan O'Reilly could, could add to that mix or you know, Bo Horvat, you know, there's a situation brewing in Vancouver. You might've heard about, I mean, we'll get to him. And, and I know those players can play center. And so maybe you're shifting someone else to that spot. But I mean, basically what we're talking about is adding another, I don't think it necessarily has to be a pure left winger. You, you're looking at another top six forward so that you can, you know, have a better mix on on the second line specifically. And so, you know, there's there's some there's some players to go out and get. Um, and and that'll, I mean, what this this winning run has done, it's just bought them time, right? I mean, Kyle Dubas hasn't felt any pressure to make any moves for all the injuries the Leafs have had, and they're among the most injured teams in the league. Uh, Colorado probably being the one notably ahead of them in terms of man games lost, but. You know, they, they've been able to get by with their depth. And then I think that they'll look to improve, you know, at the top end. But they can just wait and see how it plays out. Wait and see who's available come February. You know, what makes sense cap-wise. It gets easier to add players from a cap position later into the season you are. So, um, you know, none of those guys, I don't think the Leafs won't at least be having sort of due diligence conversations on. And, um, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be pretty exciting 
Everyone says the season doesn't matter as we head into the season in Toronto, but then you actually I see mean, it. I mean, people are getting excited. I mean, you, you go, you lose one game in regulation out of 20. That's a quarter of the season. One regulation. I get loss. it. I get it. But like, I've seen this before. I've well, they're seen the only this team, I'll say this. They're the only team in the league that hasn't given up five goals in a game. I believe they've lost almost all of their games by one goal, except for the odd empty netter. But, but you know, they've, they've been dominant in any way you want to measure it. Uh, even more dominant than previous seasons. Like that's what's, that's, what's different. You know, it's another year older um, for Timothy Lilligren and, and Rasmus Sandin. Like they look, neither of those guys played when the games mattered last year in the playoffs. And it looks like they're both taking a step forward. I mean, there's, there's, there's reason. And look at it, it's two totally different goaltenders too. And, and I don't know what your views of those goalies are, but like, it's a different team. I mean, it's the same stars, but there's, there's a lot of differences around them. And you know, I know you feel like you're watching things on loop and, and it's hilarious too. They have this run, but the one team in their division that's better than them looks like the best team in the league, the Boston Bruins um, right now, but it's going to be exciting around here. Even I think even Steve Dangles is getting jacked up. I, it's always going to be exciting. And and look, I know some people are going to look at me and be like, oh, you're a hater. But like, I there's a part of me that wants to see the Leafs actually succeed and not have them be like a joke every year and not have people look at Kyle Dubas and be like, oh, you're just a computer boy. But also, the Leafs have done enough over the last decade for me to be like, okay, I need to see y'all do it in the playoffs. So seeing that they're doing well, and I don't think I'm alone in this. I think there's a reason why that the Leafs are playing as well as they are. And aside from Daryl Sutter saying that they're like the best team in the league, you're not seeing a universal amount of adoration and praise for this organization and how well they've been playing because we've all seen this movie before where they play well, really well. And then the playoffs, they, they they don't get out of the first round. They could do it this year. This could be the year where they actually do it. But I think some people are rightfully jaded about the fact that they play really well the regular season and give people hope. And then they lose in game seven. Like, I, I think that's that's more than fair. A lot of people probably feel like they've touched the stove, right? Like they've said it in years. This is the year for the Leafs. And then, and then it ends familiarly in a familiar manner. So maybe that's where it comes from. But anyway, I'm comfortable saying that they're really damn good. And I could see them go. I, I don't think it's crazy at all to think they're going to go on a run. Um, this playoffs, it's not going to be easy. It's not guaranteed. Look at it's not easy or guaranteed any year for any team. I mean, Colorado had great teams before they finally broke through last year. Um, you know, ones that fell short, ones that blew series leads, you know, the same sorts of things we're talking about for Toronto. Um, nothing is guaranteed, but I'm just saying, give them some credit too, because they have lost players consistently and found ways to stay at the top of the league. And, and, you know, I think that they've been a well-managed team. Um, again, just my view. And, and like the computer boy narrative you brought up, that's just lazy. Like that's not, I, I get that it's out there. It's like sort of a meme type of thing, but. And I don't agree with it. But like, I record. don't think, right. Look at Kyle Dubas's job is to build a team capable of winning the Stanley cup. It, I get it. If they don't win the Stanley cup or if they don't advance the playoffs, he'll lose his job. But objectively he's built a first class organization from top to bottom and the way they do things off the ice. I hear this from other teams all the time. This is not just my opinion. This is the opinion of other people that look at how they handle sports science, how they manage their players, how they constantly find value at the bottom of the lineup consistently every single year, let free agents walk um, rather than get tied into to potentially poor contracts and still win a lot of games. Um, there's this, this, I, I was around, put it this way. I, I'm an old man, Julian. 
I was around for the previous iteration. Everybody take a drink. At, I was around for the previous iterations of management for this team, like a couple of them. It's night and day improvement in the organization. The only place they haven't improved is winning game seven, but everything else is better. I mean, these guys are the players capable of winning individual awards. They, they have a cap challenge every year, but still find ways to add at the deadline. Even Mark Giordano, man, like he's 39. We haven't even talked about it. Like he's, we he's been awesome for them. Yeah. But they great. got him. They got him last year at the deadline when they had no cap space, but found a way to do it. Resigned him at a crazy value deal, eight hundred thousand dollars, and he was playing over twenty minutes a game for twelve games when they had injuries. I mean, I don't know. They, they there's a lot of teams that would like to be run as poorly by the computer boys as the Leafs are. Man, I think. By the way, I just want to say this before we get to uh, uh, you can bet that CJ, you on one today. You're I, feeling it today. I came back from Florida with like a little bit of sickness. Like I just feel like, man, uh, so like, I got like a little bit of combativeness in me, maybe more than normal. I think I feel that too. Uh, I feel that. And not in like a negative way. Like you're pushing back and making it better for me. Like, I just think like you're, I like this. I like this. We're going to have fun today on, on, on today's edition of the CJ show. Uh, but first it's time for, you can bet that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So you can tell from CJ's background, he is no longer in Florida, which means you must have so many things to talk about from your time at the Board of Governors meetings this week. It was a good time. I'm not going to I'm not going to shy away from that. It was nice to get out of the snow for a couple of days and I came back. We're getting pounded with a snowstorm today. Um, and it was nice to socially just be there, catch up with a lot of familiar faces. Pretty light set of meetings, I would say. I mean, sometimes you go down to an owner's meeting and there's a certain crisis or maybe multiple crises and there's a little tension kind of in the air and all of, you know, everyone's looking at you like you guys are here just to 
caused some shit. Um, there wasn't that feeling. So it was, uh, it was a good time, even though of course there's still lots to debate and discuss, uh, when, when that group gets together. Absolutely. Um, what would you say is the biggest story from all the different things that were said at the board of governors meetings? Is it the Canadian world junior investigation and whatever updates are there on that? Or, or the talk about the play-in for the playoffs. That seemed to have gotten a lot of traction online uh, with with the discussion around that. Well, a potential playoff play-in is the most buzzy, for sure. Um, yeah, I can cover qu- pretty quickly the update on the Canadian World Junior team. It sounds like... Let's do that. It, but it, it sounds like, you know, I, I think from the outside, there might be some misunderstanding about what's really gone on here. I don't... You know, the NHL had basically thought it had completed its investigation. It's talked to the principals involved. Um, it's a third-party investigation, too, I should mention. It's not as though Gary Bettman himself is conducting it. Uh, but what's happened is the investigators from the London Police Service had come back to the NHL, uh, I think, with some new information and some things to follow up on. And so that that attributes to maybe, if you want to call it a delay or, or the reason why there isn't more clarity here, because there's, there's more diligence being done at this point in time. And I think the possibility of more interviews uh, too, which, you know, have to be coordinated with through the NHL players association. And so, you know, nothing's happening from the outside too quickly, but doesn't mean things aren't happening uh, behind the scenes. You know, another important, you know, item I came away with though, is this idea that, and it's not this, this isn't to presuppose an outcome here, but even if criminal charges don't end up being laid uh, by the, the police in London, you know, the NHL still has authority and, and, you know, would potentially consider suspensions or other punishments um, to some of the individuals involved. And so, you know, well, the it, it looks like it's happening in concert in, in the sense that I don't think the NHL is probably going to come out and say anything publicly until the, the case in London is wrapped up. You know, there is still room for them to have extra punishment, even if if there aren't criminal charges laid. So um, it's still moving towards the finish. I, I think Gary Bettman's words were we're in the home stretch. Um, yes. and that, that maybe is at least a little bit more clarity for, for those that have wondered about the story, why it's proceeded at the rate it has, um, you know, as for the, the playoff play in what, what's interesting about this story and what I think makes it buzzy is first of all, people have different opinions on it, but is that so many NHL teams or general managers, and there were a lot of GMs actually at the board of governors meeting. It isn't always the case, but there's probably seven or eight GMs just off the top of my head there. Well, a lot of those individuals would like to see the playoffs, quote unquote, expanded or a new round added, you know, however you, we want to phrase this. Um, Gary Bettman remains steadfastly against it. Uh, and I, I actually get his view, quite honestly. I mean, what do we celebrate the most probably about the Stanley Cup playoffs? It's, it's probably the first round, quite honestly. Now, it's not to say there aren't other great rounds, but, you know, there, there's there's a certain sugar rush to those first like week to to, to 10 days of, of the Stanley cup playoffs, the games are exciting and unpredictable. And I, and I think his thought is like, why even mess with the success if that's already working? Uh, the counterpoint of course is why not capture what we've seen every other major sport through the NBA, major league baseball, they've all added new wrinkles to their playoffs in recent years. Um, and you could get more games, more excitement leading into that first round. Uh, I, I actually don't have a strong opinion on this one. I, I can see both sides to a degree. Uh, what say you, young Mr. McKenzie? I I think it's wild that people are so against this idea. I think the fact that people are saying, oh, well, we have an 82-game season that leads into the playoffs. I'm sorry. I don't think of 
and maybe this is just the way I see it, but in other sports when we see you playing, I don't see that same view come up a lot when two really good teams could be playing against each other for a playoff spot. Like I thought about it uh, and talk like, like solemn Valji and I will talk all the time about the flames this year and how it's looking more like the flames and the Oilers might end up battling for a playoff spot more than them playing against each other in a playoff series. Could you imagine if they were in a play in game or a play in round? Like that should be fun. Like that should be like really, really cool. And I guess like, Maybe you might have to configure uh, who might actually be in the first round. Do you give your top seed a buy? Maybe you don't even have to do that. Maybe every other team can still go into the first round as normal. It's just that you change maybe one of the lower seeds and that has to eventually go up against a top seed. It's just the same thing. Not to mention again, like if you make it so, like, hey, wait a minute. one game or three games, like you could you could get revenue from that. This is the, the, the we have a counterpoint though, right? Because I think it's, it's absolutely. It's, it's pretty much accepted that it would be the seventh seed versus the tenth seed, the eighth seed versus the ninth seed, basically like to, the NBA does. To, right, to comprise the two lowest seeds that get in the playoffs. But like last year, I believe there was a 20 point gap between the eighth seed and the ninth seed. Like, how would you feel about a ninth seed team finishing 20 points behind the eighth seed and then knocking them out in a two out of three? The same way I would feel about an eight seed losing to a beating a one seed. You should have gotten right. the job done. We should have gotten the job done. Right. Because that is, to me, that is a not insignificant counterpoint. Um, but the other thing, too, though, is like, let's remember last season. And the playoffs were great last year. But the, the, the end Absolutely. of the regular season ended on, like, the lamest lame that could ever lame, lame, lame. Like, like we had, like, all these games at the end of the year that literally meant nothing. There, was, there wasn't even jockeying, really, for position. Like, teams were just locked in. Uh, the East in particular, like we we knew who the playoff teams were going to be for like two months before the end of the season. Um, you know, I think that this would at least create more drama down the stretch um, and, and keep more teams in the race. And, you know, do you know what's actually held it up, at least according to one of my trusted sources, is that the, the TV partners haven't stepped up in a meaningful way and like come to the league and said like this. This will generate X amount of dollars. This this is why it will work. This is what it would look like. This, you know, like, I, I don't think, I think it's something that, like, the teams want, some members of the media and, and fans want, but, like, the the dollars and cents aspect of it hasn't been brought to the league in a, in a proper formal way. And that's, I think that's ultimately why it, it hasn't happened is, you know, Gary Batman likes the current playoffs, hasn't seen a compelling financial reason to do it. And so I think he's thinking, like, why change something if, Unless, you know, someone says, hey, it could be 200 more million dollars or whatever it would be. I, I don't know what the number would be, but um, it only stands to reason it would be exciting. Like, I, I look, at, it's well known to loyal listeners of this pod. I'm a big Blue Jays fan. I watch yes. the Blue Jays, but I actually will just watch a wild card baseball game. And I, I don't I don't watch a random game during the season ever, basically. But something like that gets my attention. And I think I think the same would hold true if you're a Canadian hockey fan and it's like, Minnesota and St. Louis in a play-in game, you probably still flick it on uh, because the stakes would be so high and it'd be interesting and different. Um, you know, I th you, you do have to change. I'd still like to see them abolish the divisional playoff format. I might be, a, this is the, the CJ Island show because I might be on an Island there. Like, but I, I still hate, Jakes. I hate the, I just don't like this format and, and I understand why they do it, but I, I think it's, I'd rather see it be a little bit more fair uh, after 82 games and have some, like, I don't know why the conference format needed to be changed. Essentially. I thought that was much more fair. Um, but again, I'm getting off topic.
So, 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 so moving away from the conference format, it just, you know, something was clearly broken there, but hell no, we can't touch anything to do with the playoffs. You're talking about something that should be fixed. Like, I don't get it. I, I, it just and 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 thank you for mentioning the fact that maybe it has not been presented to uh, Gary Bettman uh, in a in a way that properly explains the the financial compensation side of it. Because for me, like I know for me, if we get a wild card, imagine if it was just the one game, just one game off, and maybe some people can debate. Maybe it should be a three game series, five game, whatever. But imagine if I think three you, is the sweet spot. I think three is a sweet spot. But imagine a weekend. Where we could say, all right, one game to decide if you're getting into the playoffs or not. You get double headers, East West conference games, whatever, throughout a weekend. I don't know about you. You ain't gonna find me anywhere else. I want to watch those games. I'm just like you. I would rather. I would. I will. I will watch like the Milwaukee Brewers play against. I don't know the Giants in a wild card game. And I'm like, all right, this is fun. Those wild card games we saw this year have were really fun in the major league baseball playoffs. So I'm really stunned at the fact that at least he, in my mentions, so many people were against the idea. It's like, have we not seen what the excitement level can be in these games? Like, and it's, you could it's steal, you could steal the baseball format. And, and that's one way that's, this is a good counterpoint to my, what happens if seed nine or 10 is way behind. Well, if they have to play all those games on the road, I'm just talking about logistics now. Absolutely. Let's, let's say seed seven and eight get three home games in, in a potential best of three. So that other team has to go and win two games in your building. I mean, that that does it at least account for the fact that one team had a better 82 regular season game regular season. Um, because, you know, it's hard to go on the road and win two games unless you're the Seattle Mariners coming into Rogers Center and kicking the Blue Jays ass. But um, <laughs> sorry, I'm not still bitter. Uh, I understand that for sure. But, you know, I think that that's one way to do it. And then you can maybe have that, say, three three games in four days. And then, you know, that's also punitive for the team that gets through because you might have to play three games in four days extra and then go into the first round. But that's probably proper. That that makes up for the difference in being first in the conference uh, is you're going to get a tired opponent. I, I Look, there's an argument for it. But where we should be applying the heat then, if you're a fan that wants to see this, you got to you need TNT, ESPN and Sportsnet the three national rights holders in, in us and Canada to be, you know, coming up with a solution maybe, or coming, putting some heat on, on it. That's where I think change comes from. Honestly, um, if, if this is ever going to happen, I might push it over the top. If, if those networks can come up with a dollar figure of what this could generate and how that could positively impact revenue, because look out of the pandemic, the, the league is doing all kinds of stuff that it might not have done on this same time frame, like the, the Jersey ads, and the, the the helmet ads and the digital dashboards and all this stuff is designed to make more money to make up for the losses in the pandemic. And so if there was a way to convince the those at the top of the NHL, it would make the same difference in the playoffs. Maybe it happens. Yeah, I like this discussion and I like how. Can I throw a weird one at we, you? Go ahead. So one other thing I heard that it, at least is like on the minds of some people. And I, I have to really frame this carefully because I don't think it's by any stretch going to happen at this stage but there is some thought about what ha what about having the worst two teams in the league play each other for the right to draft first overall oh i am all about it let's go let's go i'm tired of this whole thing where it's like yeah you know let the teams tank or whatever if we're not about tanking if we all are going to be like we don't like to see teams tank let the damn teams play for it let them play for it it i'm might, all for that 
Now, there might be downstream effects you don't like because maybe the teams don't unload all their players at the deadline, for example, because they want to have some talent left in the lineup to try to win those that last game or whatever that looks like. Um, but basically, we're talking about eliminating the NHL draft lottery and doing something with those bottom teams um, for a draft pick. I mean, here's this is what I think there is like it might be tough if you're a player on those teams. You've just yeah, gone through it. a season which would be a tough season if you're 31st overall or 32nd overall in the league. And then you have to play for your organization to get a draft pick, you know, and that player might be coming in to replace you. Like that might feel strange, but from uh, interest, I mean, it's almost like a stunt, but maybe, maybe that will one day be there again. I don't think this is like, this is not a front burner issue. I don't believe it was even discussed per se at the board of governors, but it's at least an idea that's floating out there around some people in, in, uh, in these circles. Look, I, yeah, that's I like that idea. I like that idea. Maybe it's a very unpopular take, but I like the idea, especially if 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 everyone is so angry about, you know, teams tanking and all that. I like the idea of teams playing for it, playing for that number one overall pick and at least having that mean something and not just just have it be this absolute race to the bottom where you could just absolutely suck. If you win for it in the end, like I think that'd be pretty cool. We might we might have a fascinating race to the bottom this year. And it's actually gonna yes. come in. It's gonna come into more focus because you've got what Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, you know, about to play for Team Can at the World Junior Championship. Obviously, a lot of eyeballs on that tournament. Um, you know, you got players from Sweden and Russia uh, that are pretty enticing players at the top of that draft. And then you've got already what four or five teams that we know aren't really focused on winning too many games down the stretch. You know, I'll, I'll throw Anaheim, Arizona, Chicago, Columbus. In, into that batch there's probably a few more that could get there we'll see what happens with san jose and and some others you know it, it we're gonna get a turtle race in the second half i think with with those last teams because there's a real there's at least one really big prize i think in bedard in this draft but actually from talking to some people who work for teams they're still not totally sure he's the number one pick like there's enough other high-end talents i'm just saying it's not a 1000 percent slam dunk i think it's probably pretty good i mean he's the last time he played a game and didn't have a point was September 23rd in the WHL. And he's about to probably be the biggest star in the world junior tournament, but hold on. Um, how, anyway. how is he not definitive? Number one, I need to know. There's well, no look way. At, look at Adam Fantilli's numbers at Michigan. Let's see what happens with some of this. I think it's Leo Carlson from Sweden and Mitch from Russia. Yes. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying, let's see how it plays out down the stretch. I like clearly he's in pole position. I'm not, I'm not trying to create I'm not trying to create a non-troversy where there isn't one, but I just think that there's still room. We're still remember we were talking about kids still, right? Like a lot of these guys that we're talking about are 17. And so it's December right now. The the draft is in late June, so that's six months. Like six months when you're only 17, a lot of things can happen developmentally. Like you could still have a growth spurt or whatever. I'm just saying there's 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 things that can happen in six months. Um if I had to say right now, gun to my head, who's getting picked first overall, of course I'm going Connor Bedard. But I'm not sure it's that clear in all the team's minds that that may hold that pick. So we go from the controversy to a team that seems to be all about the opposite in the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, this and the, I, I just picture this like giants, like just giant wheel behind me. And just imagine there's one behind me. Like I'm just gonna like spin it and just be like, all right. What's the next thing uh, that the Vancouver Canucks have to deal with? And Bo Horvat comes up next. Uh, I'm just going to read the statement he put out this week. 
I'm focused on this season and playing for the Vancouver Canucks, helping the team any way that I can. I will not have any further comments this year about my future. Bo, Bo Horvat, mind you, a UFA after this season. What do you think about whatever the hell is going on in Vancouver now? Well, the great thing about there's a great irony here, right? When you put out that statement, you actually fuel the fire. You do. And you give everyone more license to talk about it and speculate. You know, you're going to see it. If, if you watch the TSN quiz tonight, there's going to be a Bo Horvat question on there for the panelists. And that probably wouldn't be the case if that statement didn't come out this week, as an example. And it's not just at TSN. It's everywhere. Um, but in saying that, Bo Horvat's kind of in a no-win situation. He'd rather let his play do the talking. He would have rather had this contract you know, situation resolved before puck drop on this season. He's having a great year production wise. Like I appreciate that. He doesn't want to talk about it. And, you know, you're hoping to quell everything by putting that out there. I mean, maybe just maybe doing that means he's not going to field the questions, but it's, it's only going to fuel more conversation around him. Um, And I just don't think there's any way around that. I mean, you play in a Canadian market, you're the captain of the team. You've got 20 goals before Christmas and 21 goals. And exactly, but you don't have a, a contract beyond this season. I mean, it, this is this is how it works. There, there's been lots of players before. You know, Mark Stone dealt with this. Eric Carlson dealt with this when they were in Ottawa, and, and the team was obviously going in a certain direction. Um, you know, it just kind of is what it is. And you know, I don't fault them for putting out the statement, but I also think like, oh man, you're you're, you're unintentionally now giving it more life. And and you know, the truth is the Canucks are very much testing the market on them. They're, they're, they're going to go out and see wh- like who's interested, what they might get. It doesn't mean they can't trade them or sorry. It doesn't mean they're guaranteed to trade them. It doesn't mean that there's maybe not a last ditch effort when we get into February, maybe to, to attempt to resign him. Um, because remember, there's a pretty big pivot on JT Miller. Um, you know, if we had a recorder to show in Montreal during the draft in July, I would have said 100% for sure. JT Miller is being traded. I mean, he, he was being shopped at that point in time. And then it got to early September the Canucks pivoted and signed him to a long-term deal. So I, I don't think there's anything to suggest that can happen here. Um, but, you know, this is the, the good and the bad of playing in Canada is, is that when you're this, when you're as good at, as Bo Horvat is, and you're in this situation where, you know, he's turned down a contract here in recent weeks from the team. Now the team is shopping him. I mean, we're going to talk. I mean, I, I guarantee you this won't be the last time we address him on this podcast. Oh no. Uh, you can put him and Brock Besser Right near the top of uh, what was the name of the trade baits? The trading boat. Oh, wow. I completely forgot the name of the great trade segment that we would do at almost every opportunity we could last season. Uh, no, yeah, we'll bring my brain, we'll bring it back in January, bud. We will, we will, and maybe my brain will work better then too. Because for whatever reason, I just completely blanked on the name. Just I almost relax. said trade bait, just relax over the holidays. We'll sharpen up by early January and we'll. I mean, it's still too soon, right? The, on Monday, the, the trade freeze kicks in or the, the holiday roster freeze in the NHL, it's called. Um, and, and no moves can basically be made for a 10-day period over Christmas to just about New Year's. Um, you know, I think it, come January is when the, the focus and the attention will shift to, to who's being dealt. Oh, 100%. And we'll be up on that with so many players and, and very much a lot of active teams who will want to get themselves involved. I think... That's going to do it in terms of topics. We have now reached the stick taps portion of our show. Uh, this is where we show some love, some praise uh, to someone this week. We could use the cross check option if we so choose, but 
I know for myself, I want to use uh, stick taps this week. Siege, do you want to start or should I start? You go ahead. I would like to, uh, I mean, a bit bittersweet, uh, but I would like to give some stick taps uh, to Chris Snow and and his family, the Flames assistant GM uh, who has been battling ALS uh, for the last three years. Um, his wife, Kelsey, has been providing updates on his condition. Uh, he was on a ventilator last we checked. He was on it to begin, I think, last week, then was off it, but has since been placed back on. Uh, it should go without saying that uh, a lot of uh, members of uh, the Calgary Flames media, of the organization, obviously, and people around the hockey world are thinking of Chris Snow at this time. Um, I have not had a chance to really, really meet him, but just by all accounts, he comes across as a very good person and with such a great story. Just the fact that he uh, was someone who was given a year to live after his diagnosis and has turned it into a, a, a continued opportunity to this point. Uh, I think it is a remarkable story. So I just want to take the moment just to um, just give my thoughts to Chris and, and, and his family as he's going through what he is going through. And I'm pulling for him. I'm pulling for him and everyone else is pulling for him. So that's my snowy, snowy strong. I first met him at the 2004 world cup of hockey when he was a hockey journalist. Wow. Um, and obviously I've crossed paths with him a bunch over the years. We're about the same age. You know, what a career to start as a journalist and end up working a long time in the Minnesota wild front office and then been with the flames for a period of time here, but it, more importantly as a beautiful family. And I have nothing but respect for how they've shared his illness publicly. And, you know, I can't imagine that's easy. Um, but you know, they've done a lot of good with that. And, you know, I second all the, all the good wishes you're sending his way. Um, you know, as for my stick tap, I'm going to go a little off the board and give it to Gary Bettman, uh, the commissioner that everyone has, has made popular to hate, but as he celebrated 30 years this week, um, since he was first elected commissioner of the NHL, he was the first commissioner of the NHL. It's hard to deny the growth the league has seen under his watch. Um, you know, how much better of a place the league has been in. It's not an easy job. It won't be an easy job for, you know, hasn't been an easy job for whoever did it before him, for whoever his successor eventually will be, um, won't be an easy job. And what's crazy about this is that if uh, if and when Gary Bettman gets into early May in the job, he'll actually then be the most tenured leader at the top of the league in history, surpassing Clarence Campbell. So, I mean, it's, it's a pretty amazing run. Um, I know there's been lots of times I've questioned him or criticized him. I mean, it's part of the nature of both of our jobs, but, uh, that's, that's quite a time at the top of the league. And I must say it was really hammered home to me this week, being at the board of governors meeting, just how much more stable the league, the place is in right now, uh, financially and as a business. And, uh, I'm hoping for, for good things ahead because it's, it is a great league and it's, it's helped giving me my livelihood and, and a lot of joy to my life too. Absolutely. And with with mine as well. Uh, very interesting stick tap. I know some people might wonder like, huh, are you sure about that? But I can understand where you're coming from for, with that viewpoint. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for stick taps. This are you going to turn around and add a cross check to Batman just to give a counterpoint? Or what are you going to do? No, I'm not. I, You know what? I'm not going to do that. I, of course, look, I mean, and you also mentioned it too. Like he's he's open to he opens himself for criticism, and that's part of our jobs. Uh, but I don't want. I feel as if we've 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 debated enough on on this Thursday yeah, edition. This has been an ornery um, version of the CJ show. Yeah, and not 
and and I hope no one thinks that like, oh, we're we're purposely sniping at each other and, and, and there's like disdain. It's like, no, this is very good, healthy discussion to have. I, I like this. Uh, but yeah, I'm 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 tapped out on discussions. I'm gonna go back to my bed and sleep. Um, but uh for everyone else, thank you so much for watching and listening to this podcast. Uh, get your questions in now for Ask CJ for our Monday show. If you're tweeting at CJ Reporter Chris, use the hashtag use the hashtag ask cj uh when you uh write in your question enjoy your weekend everybody for cj i'm julian so long peace the chris johnston show powered by sports interaction want to bet inside the game twice a week follow chris on twitter at reporter chris and follow julian mckenzie at jk mckenzie the chris johnston show